live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal. Welcome back to the Dark Paranormal and our concluding episode of our Halloween special, The Darkest Chapter. Yesterday, we heard about a seemingly demonic entity that had, for no reason, decided to arrive in the life of our listener, Claire. Today, we complete her true paranormal experience. So, once more, please lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable and leave your disbelief at the door as we present to you The Darkest Chapter, Part 2. After entering the hallway, I was a mix of emotions. How could it have actually followed me here? Was it just an aftershock? Some sort of thought-form hangover? that was forcing its way through my anxieties of living alone in a new place. That night, that question would be answered when I was abruptly awoken from my slumber by a heavy weight. This time it felt like a person's knee, driving down in the middle of my back, pushing me down onto the bed with enough force to make the heavy bed frame creak. I somehow made it through the night and I drove out to mum and dad's the next day. I broke down in front of them with the realisation that this thing could follow me. A few weeks later, I moved apartments. The new apartment was literally only two minutes away, across a lane. It was a little more expensive than my first apartment, but much nicer and far more secure. My friend had lived there for a few years prior and my brother and his girlfriend had been living there for almost a year, and were the residents who moved out when I moved in. They had lived there for almost a year, and my friend had lived there over two years. Both parties had never reported anything weird happening in the least. Having known no history of the first apartment, at least I knew this place should be a fresh canvas. So I packed up all my belongings and my kitten, and hauled them all over to the new apartment. I got a three-week reprieve this time. This time, though, I was a bit more stubborn. I would still occasionally sleep on the couch just to feel safe, but at least I started to argue back and stand my ground. If it tried to pin me down at night, I would get out of bed, turn on the lights, and more or less rant and rave at an empty bedroom, telling this thing that this was my property, my space, and it had no right nor permission to be there. To be honest, I don't think this had much of an effect, but at least it gave me some sort of outlet, and I wasn't paying rent to sleep on a couch when I had a double bed. I distinctly remember being woken one of the nights by someone knocking on my bedroom door. Now, when I say knocking, that's an understatement. This was someone full-on fist-thumping or even kicking my bedroom door. Not my front door, at the end of a hallway, but my bedroom door. Being weirdly brave at stupid o'clock in the morning, I clambered out of bed and swung the door open, only to be greeted by an empty hall. Even the cat wasn't there as I'd closed the living room door on my way to bed, so he was curled up in his bed in a different room. The other thing that sticks out in my mind when I talk about apartment number two is the little boy crying. I should probably preface this by stating that at this stage in my life, I had realised I was hearing voices in my head. No, no, don't run and get the men in white coats just yet. And I'm acutely aware of how insane that makes me sound. I can't pinpoint when exactly this started happening to me. 
but I do know that it was when I was living in apartment number two, when I realised that not everyone hears these voices. These voices aren't clear. They're muffled and muzzled, and I can make out every third or fourth word if I really concentrate. The best way I've found to describe what I hear is that it's like when there's a conversation going on in the next room, or when you have a radio station not fully tuned in. You know that in-between frequency you get when you're halfway between stations, and every so often a voice bubbles through for a split second, and then it's indistinct noise again. Well, that's what I would hear in my head when I try to sleep at night. During the day, I don't hear it, but I put that down to my mind being occupied with my job and life in general going on around me. But when I put my head on a pillow and the rest of the world is asleep, there's nothing to drown it out. Anyhow, with that kind of explained, now the little boy crying. My bedroom was on the first floor of the apartment block. My bedroom window looked out onto a laneway between my building and the adjacent apartment block. Both of these buildings had once been grain silos, depots that had stored and shipped grain on canal boats, up and down the river, but had long since been converted into apartments. My bedroom window was also situated over a fire exit. This was near the beginning of September and I was laying in bed one night when I heard the sound of a little boy crying. It wasn't a baby. It sounded like a little kid, maybe four years old, and his crying was hegging, like when a kid gets lost in a supermarket or store and can't find their mammy. Laying in bed, I figured it was a kid in the upstairs apartment. No big deal. But then I realised that the place was solid concrete, and I never overheard any neighbours before, so why now? Then my brain went for the next logical explanation. The fire exit. The poor kid must have somehow gotten out of the door and locked himself outside. Poor kiddo. But I didn't go and look out the window either. In hindsight... I think I knew it wasn't a little kid falling foul to a self-closing fire door at 3.33am in the morning. And if it was, I wanted nothing to do with it, as bad as that sounds. But then, the next night, according to my phone at exactly 3.33am. And the next night, the same time. And the next... And the next. I had the sense one night to grab my phone and record it. When I played it back the next day for my twin and my friend, I felt so righteously vindicated when they exclaimed, Is is that a kid crying? Before I even told them what I'd recorded, I now had tangible proof that I wasn't going insane. Because now I could play this and other people would hear what I heard. At the end of that week, I drove out to Mum and Dad's house for a visit, and I was sitting at the kitchen table, and Dad asks me if I'm okay. At this stage, I'd made a decision to not tell them about the weird things, unless it got really serious, because I knew how much Mum worried about me. Mum had already had the house blessed a few times, and saged, and some psychic had visited the house. Even a local paranormal group had come round and set cameras up, etc. But Dad had obviously seen how tired I was, or he'd seen how my thoughts were elsewhere. I told him what I'd heard, the little boy crying, and instead of reacting with confusion or surprise like I expected, he smiled at me. Not exactly the response I'd been expecting. And I asked him what he was grinning at. But he just shook his head and said he wasn't going to say anything else. But that I should check the flood wall across from my apartment block. I'll be honest, I totally forgot about this for a week or two. Until I was driving home from work one day 
and some inconsiderate person had taken the space that I usually park in. I circled around the apartment block as I drove past the flood wall and I suddenly remembered what Dad said. I parked my car and walked down the 20 metres to the wall where I found a weathered marble plaque for a four-year-old boy, a boy who had drowned there. His anniversary was the 13th of September, two days away. I got in the car, went back to my parents' house and basically greeted my dad with a thump to the arm for not telling me what he'd known. It was then that he told me that he and some of the kids in town used to play down by the quay when they'd been little. They'd played games jumping from the quay onto barges and back again. But this little boy had slipped down between the quay and the barge and had drowned. I asked Dad why he hadn't just told me and he explained that he hadn't wanted to taint what I found out. He said that he'd realised part of me was sensitive to these paranormal things and I needed to learn how to deal with that myself, not with stories from other people, and I needed to decide whether I was going to accept it and meet it head on, or keep running. I don't think I gave that conversation the gravitas it deserved at the time, and I brushed it aside as another weird thing. I left my apartment in town that evening and headed out to Mum and Dad's for a cup of tea and a chat, Dad was at work, so I had a cup of tea with Mam and had a catch-up. When it came time to go home, I couldn't find my car keys. Usually, I tossed them onto the hall table when I came in the front door, just like everyone else did. But when I checked the table, they weren't there. I checked my pockets. Nope. I rooted around my handbag. Nothing. Okay. I retraced my footsteps and even checked that I hadn't left the keys in the car by mistake. All negative. I turned that kitchen upside down. Mam turned the sitting room upside down. I even called my youngest brother to come and help lift the couch, just so I could look underneath it. Nothing. Now at this point I should explain that this wasn't the first time a bunch of keys had gone AWOL. A bunch of house keys had gone missing a few years before this and they'd remained missing for weeks before they reappeared in a neat bundle in the middle of my made bed. Anyhow, back to the car keys. This was different. These were my car keys. The keys I needed to get back home to my apartment. The keys I needed to drive from my parents' house. The keys I needed to drive to work. Thankfully, I'd separated my apartment key from my car keys so I could still get into my apartment and I'd also left the spare key for my car with Mam, just in case of an emergency. I just never figured the proverbial emergency would be a ghost hiding the key. But there you go. I was frustrated beyond belief over this because I'd used those keys to drive to my parents' house so this just didn't make sense to me or add up in my head. And okay, I could have lost them in the house. I know I didn't, but for the sake of argument, I could admit that I could have. In theory, it's possible that I could have misplaced them when I got to my mam's. However, about three weeks later, I was back out at mam and dad's, and at this stage were all joking about my vanishing keys. I had dinner out there, a cup of tea. A few more chats, then I drove home. I opened up my apartment door, and right there, hanging on the key rack on the wall, were my car keys. The keys that went missing at my parents' house. Three weeks ago. Five and a half kilometres outside of town. I was dumbfounded, and to this day, it still stumps me. I lived in that apartment for about two years. In this case, it wasn't the paranormal stuff that made me move, but the landlord selling the place and the new landlord wanting to double the rent. No thank you. Instead, I got a two-bedroom house for an extra €30 a month, so a no-brainer there. Ironically enough, 
this house had also been a previous place for my brother and his girlfriend. When they'd moved out of the apartment, they'd moved into this house and welcomed their first child there. Nothing weird ever happened in that house. But at this stage, the running joke in the family was that the weird shit would follow me anyhow. In my new house, instead of three weeks, I was granted three nights of peace before it found me. Three nights before I was once more pinned down in my bed. But I refused to sleep on the couch this time. I refused to run away. I refused to sleep in the spare room. This was my house. It was my home and I was sick and tired of running away. And a part of me had realised at this stage that it would follow me wherever I ran. So what was I going to do? Just keep running and moving a dress? Moving into the house, my twin helped me move my belongings from my apartment and I remember packing a glass centrepiece vase that my aunt, who was also my godmother, had bought me. My twin offered to take it as my car was full when she offered to do this. I had an image in my head of it being broken flash across my mind. I chalked it up to me being paranoid and let my twin sister bring it in the car anyway. I got to the house ahead of her and carried some boxes upstairs when I heard her walk through the door and tentatively call Claire up the stairs. And I knew. Before she even said anything, I knew the gift from my aunt had been broken. Again, let's go with the sceptical mind here. It could have been broken in transport. I just helped her clean it up. No point getting angry about an accident. A few weeks later, I was back at Mum and Dad's and Dad decided he was going to go for a walk up the fields near the house. Myself and my brother Anthony tagged along. We walked up the road, past our own field with our horse there, and we clambered over a gate into the next field. We stepped further into the field and I heard a rustling in the ditch next to us. All three of us turned on the spot in unison, wholly sure that our family dog, Max, had followed us in spite of us telling him to stay, which he usually did. Anytime we'd tell him to stay at home, he'd sneak up the field and pridefully bound through the ditch. But Max never emerged from the ditch. After a few uneasy seconds, we looked at each other and I think Dad was the one who broke the silence, with, I thought that was Max coming, which myself and Anthony were relieved to hear, because we'd been thinking the same thing. But again, debunk it. It's a ditch. It was getting dark. It's a field. It could have been a rabbit or a fox or a feral cat or anything. We disregarded that little blip and turned to walk further into the field. And... I heard the faintest moan. To me, it sounded like a male voice moaning. All three of us looked at each other again. One of us asked if the others had heard it, and we all said yes. But still trying to find the logical explanation we decided it must have been a cow, even though the fields were empty. On the way home, Dad and Anthony decided to check the field across from our house. And by Dad and Anthony, I mean Dad volunteered Anthony to climb over the ditch and go and check the field himself. So in Anthony went, and myself and Dad stood out on the roadway. It's a quiet country road, so no traffic or anything. I was taking a few aimless steps when I looked up the way we'd come and I noticed a warm, soft glow on the ditch to the right. I figured it was shining across from a neighbour's house on the opposite side of the road. But the more I looked at it, the more I realised that it didn't add up. Our neighbour's house was another 50 metres up on the left of the road, around a bend. And the only thing across from this light was a gate to an empty field no light source that could be casting this glow dad noticed my confusion and I told him what I was looking at 
He looked up at this soft orange glow and agreed that there's nothing that could be casting that light. The only logical thing to do would be to investigate, right? So we started up the road, but the light went away. It didn't just disappear. It guttered out of existence, the same way a candle flame would when you blow it out. Dad and I looked at each other, shrugged, thought nothing more of it, and we turned around and headed back down to where Anthony had clambered over the ditch again, only for that same soft glow to now be about 200 metres in front of us, at the other end of the road that only had two ditches and no light source. We were both puzzled and gripped by curiosity. What the hell was making this light? Again, we both looked at each other and started to walk towards the light. After about 20 metres or so, it guttered out again. I turned on the spot and saw the light back up at its original position. I looked at Dad and he looked at me and I felt my stomach twist with unease. Something didn't feel right about this whole situation anymore. As I was realising something wasn't right, Dad had already reached the same decision and shouted over the ditch for Anthony to come back. I got increasingly more uneasy. I felt like something was watching us, circling us, and then the male voice moaned again. This time it sounded as if it was right next to myself and Dad. I was genuinely frightened. I think I even grabbed Dad's arm. Meanwhile, Dad is still yelling for Anthony to come back. Anthony eventually emerges over the ditch, and Dad was angry with him for taking so long. But Anthony was dumbfounded. He hadn't heard a thing. He'd been no more than 100 or 150 metres away, well within earshot, but hadn't heard Dad calling his name. The three of us literally jumped over the front wall of the garden and headed straight for the house. Thinking back over that incident now while I write this, it has me recalling tales of Will-o'-the-Wisps. I'm not saying that that's what we experienced, giving the moaning sound and the sudden unease, but definitely the curious lights without a source and the way they moved and seemed to taunt us. Well, it's food for thought at least. It was around this time that my youngest brother, Aidan, kept dropping not-so-subtle hints about my old room. I told him he could take it, I didn't care. I was living in town now and my bedroom upstairs was used mainly for storage, so if he wanted it, he could have it, but he'd have to clear it out himself. A few nights later, I had a horrid nightmare. I was standing in Mum and Dad's kitchen, Myself and Aidan were teasing or slagging each other off in that sibling way. Then we started wrestling. Again, not out of the norm. I've often been picked up and tossed around or spear-tackled by one of the lads. But this turned serious. Because in my dream, Aidan started to choke me. And he wouldn't let go. And when I looked at him, his eyes were pure black and he had a wide, crooked, Cheshire cat grin across his face. Too wide to be human. I woke up in a cold sweat, gasping for breath. As soon as morning broke, I drove to my parents and told Mam that under no circumstances was she to let Aidan have my old room. No one could have it. I told her about my dream and that I was taking this as a warning. That thing... That thing that was crouched down at the side of my bed had told me that it could take them all if it wanted and I couldn't stop it. So if Aidan went up to that room, it would start tormenting him. Aidan stayed in his own room downstairs. A few months after this, my twin was staying at my house for a catch-up. We were sharing a bottle of wine and eating some junk food and just chilling out. It was about stupid o'clock in the morning. The two of us were definitely merry and watching something on YouTube when my wine glass exploded. 
It was a gorgeous, thick Disney wine glass that had been a Christmas present from my nephew. I was sitting on one couch, my twin on the other, and the wine glass had been on the coffee table in between us. And it had just exploded. I sat there for a beat, staring at the mess. Then went to the kitchen and grabbed a towel and a brush to start clearing up. My twin asked if I was okay, and I broke down crying. How was I ever meant to have a normal life? Anything nice I owned, this thing was intent on breaking. I couldn't even have a nice vase from my godmother or a wine glass from my nephew without it being ruined. Things continued to happen on and off. It hit highs and lulls, but the next thing that distinctly stands out in my memory happened in 2017. I'd gone to the gym after work and made myself a cup of tea and curled up on the couch when I got home. I nodded off on the couch, and the next thing I know, I was yanked clean off the couch. I didn't roll off. I was yanked off it hard. Hard enough to knock my cup of tea off the coffee table two feet away. I scrambled to my feet and spun around, staring wide-eyed at an empty living room. I lived alone, so I was absolutely dumbfounded. I'd been pinned down in my bed before, chased through the house, locked in my bedroom and laughed at, on top of other weird things. But this was a marked escalation towards actual physical harm. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I was shaking. I texted my twin and told her what had happened. Then I cleaned up my spilled tea dusted myself off and went downstairs to take a shower to calm myself down. Dad rang me to make sure I was okay. Obviously my twin had told him what had happened. He tried to convince me to come and stay at their house for the night, but me being stubborn me didn't want to. I wasn't running out of my own house. I got out of the shower, dried my hair and threw myself under the covers. My alarm went off at quarter past five the next morning, and I was due in work at six. My brother Anthony was working in the same place as me, so we usually took turns driving each week. This week it was his turn as driver. Anthony was well used to the weird things going on with me at this stage. There'd been several mornings where I'd rocked up to collect him, only to beg him to take the car and drive so I could curl up and have a nap on the way to work, because Casper the not-so-friendly ghost had kept me awake all night. But this particular morning when I woke up, my arm was stinging, like stinging badly. When I turned on the light, I saw three angry red scratches on my right forearm. Big scratches, Deep scratches. Scratches that spanned my whole forearm. I didn't know what to think. They hadn't been there the night before. They hadn't been there when I'd thrown myself from the shower into bed the night before. Surely I would have noticed them. And they stung now. So they definitely would have stung in the shower. What the hell? How the hell had this happened to me without me waking up? How had something done this to me? What was I meant to tell people? They were very clearly visible and big and distinct. What the absolute fuck? 
I didn't even know how to begin to process what had happened. I think I made it halfway through the day at work before I showed Anthony, who looked at me wide-eyed with, What the fuck, Claire? I told my parents and twin later that day too, but how does one wrap their head around that? I lived alone. I got yanked off my couch, and now I have these marks on my arm. If I told anyone outside my family, they would assume I was suffering from some mental health issue, and I, for one, wouldn't blame them either. Because if the shoe were on the other foot and our roles reversed, that's exactly what I would think. Also, on further investigation, where my right arm had three deep scratches on it, my left arm also had bruises on the forearm. Bruises that made out a large handprint. I could only surmise whatever yanked me off the couch had done so by grabbing my left arm. As the weeks went on, things got increasingly more physically violent. One night I'd managed to dodge getting pinned down, only to be awoken by a sharp pain to my upper left arm. When I got up to check what was going on, there was a deep purple bruise on my upper left arm, as if someone had full-on punched me. A few weeks after this, I got home from work to find my hall table blocking my stairs. I took a picture and just blamed it on the cat, even though he'd never done anything like that before. Plus how or even why he would manage to do this, I don't know, but I was still scrambling for a sceptical explanation, in spite of the absolute maelstrom of unexplained happenings going on around me. The next evening, as I was bringing my dirty mug from the living room to the kitchen, I opened the kitchen door to find the recycling bin had been picked up and emptied all over the floor, and then, apparently, placed back upright in its usual place. The door of the kitchen had been shut, as I never allowed the cat to be in the kitchen, and the kitchen window was closed. I stared at the mess for a second, cursed, got my phone out and snapped a picture, and cleaned it up. I was still swearing under my breath as I went up the stairs, into my bedroom and into the ensuite, where I was greeted by my dirty gym clothes from earlier that evening. The gym clothes I'd taken off and dumped on the bathroom floor were now neatly draped over the shower door. I literally stood there, staring at the clothes and asked out loud, So you mess up my kitchen, but clean up my bathroom? Needless to say, I got no answer. I tore the clothes down and tossed them in the laundry basket with far more venom than was necessary, and I curled up in bed in a foul mood. If I'd have been living with someone, I think I probably would have accused them of playing twisted mind games with me. But it was just me in the house. That same night, just as I was drifting off to sleep, I got that telltale knot of dread and fear in my stomach, which was warning me to get up now before the nasty thing got me. I jumped up, sprinkled holy water round the room, and put on a holy crucifix that my aunt's husband got me from Lourdes, and told this thing that it was my house, it wasn't welcome here, and that I wanted it to leave. Things calmed down, and the feeling of fear and dread dissipated enough for me to settle back into bed and doze off. A few hours later, I was awoken by a searing pain on my chest. I sat bolt upright and jumped out of bed. A sharp, painful heat was coming from a part of my chest. It was the part of my chest where the crucifix my aunt's husband had given me was resting. I took it off as quickly as I could, and there, on my chest, there was a burn mark in the shape of the crucifix. I think it's important that I state now that I'm not religious. Well, I'm not anymore. I was raised Catholic, was baptised when I was a baby, made my first Holy Communion, my confirmation, etc. I even used to be an altar server at a local church in town. As I got older, 
I only went to church when I had to. Christmas, if there's a wedding, a christening, funeral, or an anniversary mass. I now rarely ever go to church, and if I do, I'm just not comfortable there. I feel like a hypocrite whilst I'm there, because I feel like the church abandoned me, and I'll explain why. During the more serious incidents, such as the scratches on my arm that wouldn't heal and the bruises, my parents were willing to try anything if it would help. Mam would still be a fairly religious person, even now, and if that brings her peace and comfort, then I'm happy she can find that there. I lost my faith a long time ago because of this ongoing paranormal onslaught, and because every time we turned to the church for help, well, it just didn't. I remember one particular time where my parents and I went to an ecclesiastical college run by a brotherhood who we'd been told could help us. At this stage, I still had the scratches on my arm and they weren't healing and I still had the bruises of the handprints on my other arm. We went to them for help and the brother we dealt with looked down his nose at us and told us in no uncertain terms that we were merely lay people, people who did not understand how all this worked, along with other insulting insinuations. Mam got upset, but I just got angry. I'd already lost my faith at this stage, and this had just validated that I was right to do so. I pulled up my sleeve and showed him my bruises and scratches and dared him to tell me I didn't understand these things. He didn't reply. We left and never went back. Another priest at a later date informed me that this was happening to me, as I had clearly done something that needed to be atoned for. Well, fuck you. I wasn't to blame for this happening to me. That much I knew for certain. Now, all this said, there are understanding priests out there, and a few of them did genuinely do everything they could to try and help us. When these weird things first started happening, Dad brought me to a priest, and I explained to him how it all started with the noises, and now I was getting pinned down in bed, and this elderly man could not have been any nicer. He nodded and listened to me, and didn't swipe my story to the side as nonsense. He even contacted the bishop, who in turn contacted the specific priest in the diocese that dealt with paranormal happenings. No, I didn't know that was a thing either. But this has all been a learning curve to say the least. The priest came to my parents' house, and he listened to all of our lengthy explanations. He had a cup of tea with us, and he was just a genuinely nice man and a good soul. He asked if he could go to my room alone first, as this seemed to be the epicentre of the energy in the home. He spent some time up there, then came back down and told us that, yes, there had been something up there. My dad asked him the straightforward question of, well, good or bad? To which this priest replied that he'd rather not say. But in the same breath, he handed me a hand-painted wooden picture of the Archangel Michael and told me this was to ward off dark energies. Well, I took that as the answer in itself. Things quietened down in the house for about six weeks after he'd blessed the house. However, it came back with an unholy vengeance after that. One night, my twin came running down the stairs from her room, hysterically crying... When Dad finally calmed her down enough, she explained she'd been asleep, woken up, and found herself inches from the slanted ceiling of the attic room, and then fallen back to her bed. Mam and Dad called that priest back again, and he came back, went up to my room again, and did some prayers with us there in the room this time. While he was there saying these prayers, something kept insistently knocking on the front door, my mam went to go and answer it and the priest asked her to stay put and ignore it. He explained afterwards that it had been a distraction tactic by whatever had been there. 
My dad then asked him how this could be happening. This was a house they'd built, and nothing had happened for the first nine years that we'd been there. The priest's answer still sticks with me today. There's here and there's there. The afterlife, if you want. We exist in the same area, but were separated by a veil. In some places, that veil can get thin, and spirits or energies can pass through it. Unfortunately, we don't know how to fix that veil. We don't know how to patch it up or strengthen it. So, if an area becomes a thin area, we can just keep doing maintenance for what comes through. What caught me off guard with his explanation was the noted lack of religious vocabulary. This was a priest, with a white collar, a specifically appointed priest by the bishop to deal with weird shit like this. And he was talking about an afterlife. Not heaven, nor hell, but spirits and energies. Not the Holy Ghost. Maintenance. Not a blessing, nor an exorcism. I'm not religious at all anymore. I go to church when I have to, but I don't go up for communion or say prayers. I feel like a hypocrite every second that I'm there. But I really wanted to sit down with this man one more time. Unfortunately, when we tried to contact him a third time, it wasn't possible to contact him as he was ill. To this day, I'm not sure what happened there, but I'll always have the utmost respect for that man's honesty. Circling back to the weird stuff in my own house in town, at this stage I'm 25. This had been going on since I was 16, and while I wasn't religious, my mum was, and she asked if she could get a local priest to come and bless my house. To put her mind at ease, I agreed. The priest came round a few days later, mum too, and I played the good little hostess with the tea and Swiss roll cake. He was a lovely man too, kind, understanding, non-judgmental and very earnest. But it was clear to see that he hadn't been fully briefed, or he hadn't believed the stories. Because as soon as I started to explain, and I showed him the scars on my arm and the photos of what happened, he got extremely uneasy, and he couldn't leave the house quick enough. I don't recall a blessing even happening, and I don't believe I ever saw that priest again. A few nights after the priest visited the house, I was pinned down in my bed whilst I was laying on my back. It was a particularly rough instance of this, more so than usual. So as soon as I got the slightest reprieve, I was out of the bed, yelling for this thing to get out of my house again, raving like a madwoman at no one. The next morning when I woke up, my chest and collarbones were sore. And as the day went on, they got sorer and sorer until around midday when I excused myself in work to use the toilet, tugged off my hoodie and checked myself in the mirror, only to find both of my collarbones were extensively bruised, the same as they would be if someone had held me down with force. All that happened in late 2017, early 2018, the next incident of note that I remember happened on Friday the 13th of July 2018. And yes, you can laugh it up the whole Friday the 13th thing. We all did when all was said and done. I woke up a little later than usual. At this stage, I was in a new position in the same company which required me to start work at 5am. So I was no longer travelling with my brother. I got up at 4.15 and needed to be dressed and out the door to drive the 35 minutes to work. I was behind my usual time, so I had the foot to the pedal a bit heavy. But I slowed down at this particular stretch, because I'd nearly got caught speeding there by the go-safe van that week my nephew was born. So I always took my foot off the pedal at this hiding place. Except there was no go-safe van that morning. Instead... 
There was an old man standing in the middle of my side of the road at 4.30 in the morning, blankly staring at me. I reacted. I wrenched the steering wheel to the left to avoid him, but I was going about a 100 kilometers an hour, and I'd swerved sharply and there was this horrible weightless sensation, and I knew I'd fucked up. I wrenched the wheel back to the right too sharply to counteract and I knew I'd lost control. I took my hands off the wheel and braced for impact. There was a bang and the smell of smoke. For a split second I thought, the car's on fire, I need to get out. But then I opened my eyes and realised that the airbags had deployed and that was the smell. I sat there, I did a quick mental check of myself. What hurt? Well, nothing yet. Was anything broken? Nope. Can I move everything? Yep. Am I bleeding anywhere? Not that I can see. My car was stuck in a ditch at a 45 degree angle, with the driver's side door on the downward side of the angle and jammed against a tree. I dug out my phone and rang my mam. I told her I'd crashed my car that I was okay and that I was the only person involved and I gave her my location. I then rang my brother, who lived 10 minutes down the road and was a much better choice for an emergency. He wouldn't freak out and worry like poor man would. I rang him, told him I'd crash my car and that I'd swerve to avoid a fox. When he asked me what happened, I told him I was stuck in a ditch near his girlfriend's aunt's house and could he please come and get me? He said he was on his way and hung up. I then called work and said, Hi, this is Claire. I won't be in today. I've crashed my car. Bye. God love whoever got that voicemail. I then had to get out of the car, so I undid my seatbelt and clambered out over the centre console and scraped myself out through the passenger's side which was literally an uphill climb with how the car was stuck. I got out of the car and just stood there, waiting for my brother while all the traffic trundled by. No one stopped to check if I was dead or alive. And in hindsight, that's a main road that the trucks use for deliveries in the early hours of the morning. How a truck wasn't speeding towards me as I veered across the lane, I'll never know. My brother eventually drove past me and had to double back. I knew I'd been involved in a serious accident when he ran across the road and hugged me and started crying. We're not touchy-feely siblings. We'd sooner slag each other off. So for him to pick me up in a hug and cry, I knew I'd been in a serious accident then. I broke down crying and told him what really happened about the old man who'd been standing in the middle of the road. And I know he used to slag and tease me about hearing things, seeing things and all that, the way brothers do. But he stopped me, told me dead straight, Claire, I believe you, okay? I believe you. Then my mum and my uncle arrived. That was another crying fest when my mum saw what had happened. Then my cousin stopped on his way to work to see what I'd managed to do. Then my dad pulled up, so it looked more like there'd been a pile-up on the other side of the road at this stage. A while later, whilst Mam had organised a recovery truck to pull the car out of the ditch and bring it to the house, Dad and my brother Anthony approached me and told me, You should go with Mam. You don't need to see this being pulled out. Go to Helen's and get a cup of tea. I thought they were just being very nice about it, especially considering my brother had been calling me Claire Bandicoot ten minutes before that. But never look a gift horse in the mouth, and I agreed and went off to my aunt's with my mam. I found out a few hours later the real reason why they got rid of me. They'd found a jacket on the side of the road, then socks, then a hat. They hadn't told me this at the time because... When I eventually told them that I'd seen an old man standing in front of the car, they fully thought there was going to be a body under my car, and they didn't want me to see that. Thankfully, there was nothing under my car 
other than other pieces of my car. So yeah, I wrote off my car on Friday the 13th. I now have to text my mother every Friday the 13th to let her know I'm alright, especially if I have to drive anywhere. That happened when I was 26. I'm now 30 and I still text her if I'm driving anywhere. Things kept happening on and off the whole time, both in my own house and at mum and dad's. Small things though, nothing we classed as serious. But as I said already, our grasp on serious changed as things escalated. Where once a shadow or something moving would have set us all on edge, we now viewed that on the lower end of the spectrum. The next serious thing that happened was in 2019, when I got pinned down in bed again while still living in my house. And those three scratches that had long since healed on my right arm reappeared in the exact same place. Two years to the day of when they'd happened. I don't even know what to say about that. I just can't explain it. I just know that when I get a tan on my arms now, my right arm has three faint white lines. All because something I can't see managed to physically scar me twice. I moved home in April 2020. I was making a serious change in my career and my wages were going to take a drastic dive off a cliff just whilst I trained for the new career. I was lucky enough to be in a position where my parents supported my career choice and let me move home with them and my cat and all my belongings. I lived there until February of this year, 2022. So just shy of two years where... Nothing happened. Nothing at all. Nothing happened in the house. I didn't get pinned down once. I didn't get that feeling of dread or fear in my stomach. The one that always gave me the warning the nasty thing was around. Almost two years of nothing and peace and normality. Maybe it had decided to move on. Maybe it was finally all over. I moved out in early February 2022 as my new career had me working an hour and 15 from my parents. So far, nothing has happened in my new home. But while driving home to my parents a few weeks ago, just as I was pulling into the drive, I got that horrid knot of fear and dread in my stomach for the first time in a very, very long time. I spoke to my mum and asked her if anything had happened lately. She said no and asked why. I explained to her about how I'd felt. And we decided to just ignore that for the time being. A few months ago, whilst travelling home to my parents at night, I decided to take a back road to save some time and avoided going through the traffic of town. As I approached a red traffic light on a dark back road, A little boy with black hair and a loose white shirt skipped across the road in front of my car. No big deal because I was stopped, but it was like 9pm at night, pitch black, and this kid looked to be around 6 or 7. I started looking round from where I sat in my car to see if I could see a parent or guardian around. Nope. I looked back to the little boy just in time to see him run straight through a solid 12 foot high wall I think the light turned green and back to red while I sat there and stared at the spot where the little boy had disappeared I looked back to my right and felt a shiver run down my spine as I realised the building to my right had once been an industrial school for boys and there were headstones out at the front of it As soon as the light turned green, I put my foot down and went straight to my parents. My current job is a police officer, and I pointedly didn't mention any of this to my colleagues, for obvious reasons. I'm fully aware of how insane this sounds. However, about two months ago, myself and a colleague got a call pertaining to the sound of gunshots. This was a rural area at around 5am in the morning, 
we were patrolling the area to find the source of the noise, which we'd heard ourselves, and penned it down to farmers simply chasing crows on a farm. But we still needed to be sure. We came to an old white farmhouse, an old farmyard, where the road kind of runs through the farm itself. As we were sitting in the patrol car contemplating where to check next, some movement caught my attention. I looked at the top floor window of the small farmhouse, and I noticed an elderly man looking out at us. He was wearing a light blue flannel shirt and was peering out from behind a neck curtain. I pointed this out to my colleague, and she squinted through the windscreen and asked, Where? I pointed to the window, There! and was a bit puzzled as to why she couldn't see this blatantly obvious observer. She shifted around in her seat, and no, she still couldn't see him. I kept watch on the mail and locked eyes with him. He held my gaze for a moment, and then let the curtain fall back into place and retreated into his room. As he did this, I felt that knot of fear and dread form in the pit of my stomach. A sensation I hadn't had in three years. I turned to my colleague and told her we needed to check the house. She reluctantly agreed, but we knocked, then made our way through the unanswered door and discovered a deceased elderly male at the property. My colleague was about to call for an additional unit to help, as she believed there was another person in the building or the surrounding area, as I'd seen someone before we discovered this deceased male. I stopped her from using the radio and told her there would be no one else in the house. This male had been deceased for some time, almost decayed in his light blue flannel shirt. I had a little bit of a breakdown and had to explain to my colleague that the male I'd seen at the window had been the deceased male. I then had to turn around and explain that to my sergeant, with a lot of fear because I didn't know how they would react to this. Thankfully, they took it in their stride, and there's no judgement there. A little teasing when we get a sudden death announcement, but nothing I can't deal with. The last few times I've been home at Mam and Dad's, I've noticed things start to creep back in again. I was recently in the house, alone. Remember, it's been a few years since anything strange has occurred. I fell asleep and... I was woken up by the TV in the kitchen being turned on and turned up to the highest volume. Mam and Dad were in Tenerife. My twin was at a wedding... Anthony was at his house in town, and my other brother was at work. I walked down, stared at it for a second, and turned it off, ignoring the niggling voice in the back of my head that was telling me this wasn't right. Doors have started opening themselves when we're all sitting down, and even my youngest brother, Aidan, has reported a few small incidents which is the first time he's ever experienced things. Currently, I think I've accepted that things are slowly waking up once more. I am very fearful that the nasty thing will make itself known some night again soon, be it to me, or God forbid, to my family. I'm anxiously ticking off the months I've lived in my new house, So far, it's been six months. I've made peace with the fact that I sometimes hear things that aren't there, or see people that aren't there, and I can deal with that, or I can try to learn how to deal with that going forward. I told this story a while ago on another show. Back then, nothing had happened in two years, but one of the presenters mentioned something about threes. Their comment had a dawning realisation on me, and I went back over the dates and occurrences with a fine tooth comb. And I noticed a pattern running through my story, and it threw me for a proverbial loop. We lived in our house for nine, or three times three, years 
before anything paranormal happened. I lived in apartment number one for three months before things started up again. I lived in apartment number two for three weeks before things started happening. I was awoken by a little crying boy at 3.33 every night for those two weeks. I lived in my house for three days before things started happening. There were three scratches on my arm. I saw that little boy run across the road in April 2022, three years after moving home. Now, I'm not religious anymore, but even I have to acknowledge there's a pointed pattern of threes seemingly going on with these experiences. And there's a known correlation between patterns of threes and dark or oppressive energies. So, that's my story. Or at least, my story up to now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave the darkest chapter. Claire makes an exceptional point at the end of her story. For those who don't know, the number three is associated with dark entities. Three knocks or three bangs around the house or even three taps on the window, are all meant to signify a mockery of the Holy Trinity. And although people have long held midnight as the witching hour, 3am has since overtaken that alleged paranormal time, with 3.33 being a time that you will hear pop up over and over again in alleged demonic cases. Once again, due to it allegedly being a mockery of the Holy Trinity. The photographs taken by Claire of the scratches on her arm, the bruises around her neck, and the rubbish strewn across her kitchen can all be found on our social medias. You can search The Dark Paranormal on both Instagram and Facebook. On Facebook, there is a group that you can join where the photos will be stored. If you're new to The Dark Paranormal and you've enjoyed what you've heard, why not hit the subscribe button and join us for Season 9, which begins on Friday the 11th of November. Going by the submissions we've already received, Season 9 looks set to be our best season ever, giving you nothing but the best true paranormal experiences. If you enjoyed the show, you may consider becoming one of our wonderful Patreons. Our team over at Patreon have access to the full set of photographs submitted by Claire. They also receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive early ad-free episodes, you also receive access to an additional podcast, Dark Bites, released each and every week, even in between seasons. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon. And as guaranteed yesterday, we're now going to say a big thank you to the people who signed up between the end of Season 8 and today. And those people are Vera V, Brian Faulkner, Manat Galhotra, Katie Dermody, Tracy Greer, Jennifer Novis, Danita Kelly, Nicole Louise, Chloe Tupper, Daniel Roderwold, Kevin Miller, Emma Joyce, Morgan Holdsworth, Dalia Zelko, Jack Jackson, Irene Schreiber Bracini, Kat McCormick, Aislin Franco, Claire Eastwood, Matt Melton, Tina Friedrich, Catherine Dale, Cerise 26C, Evan Trollson, Michaela Lalonde, Amy Lee, McKenna Rustad, Lindley Biddenews, Heather, A. Froge, Lindsay Sullivan, Sarah Pavlau, Pascal Quintero, Johnny Carr, Kenny Adams, Sarah Normal, Stephen Rodriguez, Nicole Engel, Clifford Wynn, Dawn Davis, Kat Safiria, Kathleen White, Constance Krabaka-Royst, Tara Popolvira, Heather Malaiki, Jill White, Brian Russell, Ken Jennings, Jess and Brandy. Thank you so much guys for signing up to support us on Patreon. I hope you enjoy all the early ad-free releases and of course are looking forward to being the first people to hear the premiere episode of Season 9. So finally, a huge thank you to everyone who joined us on this two-part special, The Darkest Chapter. And until I next speak to you for the start of Season 9, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave 
some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.